Well, welcome again. Um, I want to begin with a story. I talked to a pastor friend in China. Zoom is amazing. I know Zoom's crazy, Zoom fatigue, I get it, I, I have it. <laughs> but I got to talk to a pastor friend in China who's a pastor in the underground church, a good friend of mine that I used to work with in Boston who moved to Shanghai to plant a church underground. And uh, he said something that I've been itching to share with you um, in the last few weeks. And when P- Patrick asked me to preach a, a few weeks ago, I said, Lord, do you want me to share this? And uh, actually this morning I felt like, yeah, I should. Um, you know, we were, we were kind of catching up, and we got to a point where I said, hey, I'll, I'll call him Joe. Joe, what's it like on Sundays for y'all? What, what does that look like? What does it involve? And uh, he said something I'll never forget. He said, I gather the leaders, I gather the pastors, the elders, the volunteers, and we pray before the service every single week the same prayer. We pray, Jesus, Give us one more Sunday. One more Sunday to share the good news of Jesus. To baptize. To see people's lives changed with this good news of Christ. People who were so hurt, this hurting so much and um, so afraid. You know, there's a lot of persecution in China something we can't really understand, but they pray one more Sunday. There's a sense of urgency to their worship. And how might that affect them? I would imagine that God moves in a powerful way, and he is. Uh, They say that there are more Christians now in China than there are communists. And, uh, you know, we could give a lot of glory or a lot of praise to God for the underground church for that reason. Even in fear, even under threat, they worship, they meet, they share, they love. And you know, um, we're in sort of a, a rebuilding project, and we're, we're in a sermon series um, in the book of Haggai. And 2,500 years ago, this is set, and in those days, um, you know, under the leadership of Nehemiah, God's people had returned from exile and they had rebuilt the wall. The wall was built, but the temple still laid in ruins. And God, through Haggai, said, build it back. Build it back. Because they had faced so much adversity in trying to get this thing rebuilt that they sort of paused years and years and years. And 15 years had gone by and the temple had still laid in ruins. And they had become content with this. And again, the prophets spoke to them and said, rebuild my temple. You know, nobody names their kid after this minor prophet, right, Haggai? But um, God, God is speaking through this person um, to expose their spiritual apathy. And that they were more interested in building their own homes, as we heard last week, than they were in building the house of God. And so God, at the end of chapter 1, he stirs up their hearts to build again, to get to work. And fast forward 2,500 years, and again, we're in our own sort of rebuilding project. You know, as Rebecca, as Becky was saying, you know, it's, it's, our church has changed so much in the chaos of the last 18 months. But Jesus calls us to build up our, this local expression of his body. And here's how we've contextualized it for our, our moment. 
Um, you've, many of you have seen this slide before. I won't get into it all, but this is what we're aiming at. You know, communion, conviction, covenantal relationships, courage, compassion. We're trying to build back together. And we hope that you all be, will be a part of it, and you at home as well. But for any number of reasons, we can go grow very apathetic. We can lose that sense of urgency that the people in China have at building up the body. And here in chapter 2, we learn that God intends to supply us with strength as we labor together for his kingdom. And he equips us with three things. Um, a strong memory, a strong presence, and a strong hope. Memory, presence, and hope. Uh, with that, I wonder if you might stand for uh, the reading of God's word. Our central text for today is found in Haggai 2, 1 through 9. In the seventh month, on the twenty-first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So strong builders need a strong memory. So to build through adversity, to keep laboring, to have a sustainable urgency like our friends and brothers and sisters in China, we need a strong memory. And I want to just look briefly, those verses could so easily just fly past us um, at the first three verses. So let's look there first. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, speak now to all the remnant of the people and say, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it as nothing in your eyes? Yet now, be strong. So the people were surveying the rubble of the temple, and it was destroyed right by enemy forces, and God said to remember its former glory, to remember what it used to be like. And he first asked them to look at it truthfully and honestly in order to compare it again to what it was like before. And surely there were people that had been alive, it was about 66 years prior, that had seen the Temple of Solomon in all its beauty and glory. Now I want to see a show of hands. Any Springsteen uh, fans in the, in the audience? Springsteen? Okay, there's like five of us. That's kind of sad. See, see me after church. What? 
Um, so Glory Days is a, is a great song. Glory Days. Um, you know, he's reminiscing at like a local well with his buddies and about all the glory days that have passed him by. But the people of God in the book of Haggai, they're, they're not sentimentalizing. When they look at the rubble, it's something, by analogy, something like what we just went through a, a couple weeks ago, September 11th. You know, we're, we're not sentimentalizing these amazing buildings, though they were amazing. We're, we're deeply wrecked by all the carnage that happened 20 years ago. And to an even greater extent, the temple was in the, the middle of Jerusalem, and all of life, not just the spiritual life of Jerusalem and, his, and God's people, but even the economic life, um, what went through the temple. And so it was incredibly disheartening. And um, so when it was destroyed, right, the, the heart of God's people was torn apart. And, and then in verse 4, God tells them three times to be strong, be strong, be strong. And then he says to keep building, get to work. But he adds something in verse 5 that I want to sort of drill down into. He tells the governor, the high priest, and all the people to be strong, in verse 5, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. So God tells them to be strong in light of the covenant that he made with them long before the temple was built. Many hundreds of years. Now, Becky actually uh, referred to this in passing, but many of you can remember a Grace Mills River church that had multiple services, hundreds, if not over a thousand people coming to worship. And you can grow discouraged when you look around at the remnant of who we are today. And you can grow discouraged. Now, it's very good to look back 10, 20 years ago and just celebrate what God had, has done through this local church in this area. It's good to look back. But when we're discouraged about the remnant, when we're discouraged during the rebuilding process that we're all in, God wants us to look further back than 10, 20 years ago. He wants us to look back to the cross. Just like he told them to look back to the covenant in Sinai, Exodus 29, I'll read just a bit. What does he promise them there? I will dwell among the people of Israel and be their God. That's what he promised them in the, in the covenant at Sinai. I will dwell with you, I will be your God. When God tells them to remember this covenant, it would have been like a gracious jolt, like smelling salts to their soul to know that God had promised to be with them always, even in the face of so much wreckage, even in the face of so many people leaving our church, even in the face of so many people moving away. And so when you become discouraged about the church or this church, God wants us to remember what Jesus did to set us free from the tyranny of sin and death. When you grow discouraged, remember the cross to know the lengths to which he would go for this messy, sinful, and even discouraged people like us. He loves us to the end. So strong rebuilders have strong memories about what God has done for us in Christ. Secondly, he gives us a strong 
presence. Strong builders have a strong presence. Uh, youth in the room, there's a few of you. Some of you in the back, maybe some of you in that balcony. Welcome. We're glad you're in here. It's awesome having multiple ages in here, by the way. This isn't normal. Like, a lot of churches don't do this. So, I love it. So, youth in the room, you know, middle school, high school. All right, if you were playing basketball, all right, anybody play basketball in here? If you're in youth, anybody? There's like two. I see people back there, but they're being, they're being cool. All right, so a few of you play basketball. All right, so you're playing with your friends at the gym, the YMCA or wherever. You're playing with your friends pickup ball, all right? And in walks a 6'8", 240 athletic machine named LeBron James. He's like 80 years old and he's still playing. What would happen to you what would go through your mind? And here's a more important question. What would happen to your game if LeBron James walks in to the gym? Would you play better? You guys in the back. Would you guys play better or worse if LeBron James walked into the gym? You'd go down? Oh, man. But some of you said better. I think if it were me, which I haven't played in a long time, I would do my absolute best. They're like, this preacher over here, he's pretty good. Which I'm not. But... I would want him to say that. I would want him to go, wow, that was a cool pass. Before he broke his ankle. What? Um, <laughs> all right, let me switch uh, metaphors. All right, if you're in English class, youth, high school students, I don't they still have English class? Yeah, I think so. Um, every now and then in English class, you'll write a poem, right? You're in poetry section of literature. And what if Amanda Gorman walked in the room? while you were reciting your poem. Would that make you do a little bit better job? Want her to go, wow, that was a cool poem. You would probably rise, like your level would probably rise. You're, you would try to do better than you ever did before because you're in the presence of greatness. So in verse five it says, my spirit remains in your midst. My spirit remains in your midst. Verse 4, I am with you. Work, I am with you. And this word remains literally means to stand strong or stand fast. Like a soldier is told in battle. Did you know that the spirit of the living God is with you when you're listening to a podcast like The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill? Or when you're listening to something about the the hardship and sort of the, some of these awful stories in the, in, in the church today. You know that God remains with you when your love for another Christian wanes or when they've treated you very poorly and you feel like giving up the fight of the faith. You know, he remains with you. You know, he's with you when you're feeling like that. He remains to complete the work he started in his people that's what this means, especially when the builders are looking for another job. He remains. He stands strong. And so for the discouraged follower of Jesus in the room, the Almighty God is building with you. He's building with you as we do the work to love God in word and deed, to make disciples, to share our faith in this area. 
Uh, David Brooks, the author and New York Times op-ed writer, uh, he just became a Christian uh, just a, a handful of years ago. And after, it was after many years of being an atheist. And I recently listened to an interview where he dis- was kind of describing uh, that journey to faith in Christ. And I was very surprised to learn um, that for him, it was a select handful of Christians that he knew personally, but that he read about in church history that made him open to sort of the veracity of Jesus. A lot of people look at Jesus, they don't like Christians, they don't like his followers, but they look at Jesus and say, I want to I believe in you. But for him, it was the opposite. It was beautiful Christians, as he described it, that made him open to the most beautiful God. And I want to read just a really short quote. A lot of moral formation happens by being enmeshed in beautiful communities. It was the generosity, the selflessness, the hospitality of Christians that he knew, a select few, and that he read about in the history of the church that made him want to believe in Jesus, believe that he had to be true. And so what if the, even though we're smaller than we were two years ago or 10 years ago for that matter, what if God wants us to become a more beautiful community than we've ever been? What if Jesus wants us to be a community full of rich hospitality that our neighbors that maybe would never come here if we invited them, but they notice something different about us, that we're opening our homes, we're opening ourselves, even though we're busy, even though we're tired, even though it's chaotic, we're inviting them in and saying, we, we want to love you because why? This is what Jesus has done for us to an infinite degree. And we want to be a picture of his beautiful love. What if we were like that? What would happen in our families? What would happen in our schools? What would happen in our church? And what would happen in our neighborhoods? Beautiful communities. It's his presence. It's his presence that enables us to have a strong presence wherever we are for him. So strong builders have a strong memory filled with redemption. We have a strong presence filled with the Holy Spirit. And finally, we have a strong hope that cannot be shaken. A strong hope. So the rest of the verses, I won't read them all, um, but it's essentially a promise of what God will do in the future. He says he's going to shake the heavens and the nations and the future glory of the temple will be greater than the former. And he says at the end, in this place, I will give peace. And the writer of the Hebrews, uh, to the, the book of Hebrews, um, in chapter 12, picks up this uh, passage in Haggai chapter 2 and quotes it to make a point that when Jesus returns, we will inherit a kingdom that cannot be shaken. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. So let me ask you, when you, when you come here or when you're around other Christians in this church, do you feel and experience an unshakable peace when you're with them, when you're here with us. Or if you're a follower of Jesus today, here or online, do you exhibit peace on social media? If not, we are failing to be who we are in Christ. And our failure is having a tremendous effect on our society, which Rebecca touched upon earlier. Uh, A few days ago, uh, Russell Moore, a theologian, um, 
works for Christianity Today, he, he wrote an article entitled, Integrity in the Future of the Church, Why Are So Many Young People Losing Faith? So young people in the room especially, I, I want you to really listen in, and the rest of us need to listen in as well. He says this, What if people don't leave the church because they disapprove of Jesus, but because they've read the Bible and have come to the conclusion that the church itself would disapprove of Jesus. That's a crisis. We are losing too many of a generation, not because they're secularists, but because they believe we are. What this demands is not rebranding, but repentance. A turnaround. Stranger things have happened, and that's good because we will need stranger things. We will need to be the people of Christ and him crucified, the people of a word which stands above all earthly powers and no thanks to them abides. Somewhere out there, there's at least one 15-year-old losing his religion who needs to see if we are such a people. Despite many appearances to the contrary, God is at work in the American church. And God is at work in our church. As you heard today already from Rebecca, he's at work. But perhaps the surest sign that we can give to the world is when we remain at work, building up the bride, building up the church in love and good deeds. No matter how difficult, no matter how jaded, no matter how broken it can be. But what's the key? to stay in the fight. It's one thing for a pastor to say, let's go, let's go. Be stirred up. But just like in chapter two, they needed something. They needed a strong presence. To quickly illustrate this, when missionaries Elizabeth and Jim Elliott uh, were newly married, they moved to Ecuador to try uh, to bring the gospel to an indigenous uh, group that had never heard of the person of Jesus. And while they were trying to make contact, many of you know, uh, a group of Hurani warriors killed Elliot and his four companions on January 8th, 1956. So they were trying to bring Jesus to this tribe and they killed them for it. And Elizabeth mourned uh, the, the death of her husband, but she didn't flee. In fact, she spent the next couple of years ministering to the very same people that martyred her husband. How could she do such a thing? How could she stay and minister to the people that killed her beloved husband? She said this, The secret is Christ in me, not me, in a different set of circumstances. It's worth reading again. The secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. That's something maybe you could file away. The way of the world is that when things get hard, find an easier place. But this flight attitude does not form beautiful communities that our world is dying for. Because we'll have to keep moving to the next job or the next city or the next church or the next religion. 
when things get hard, if our attitude is just find a different set of circumstances, we'll just keep looking. Because everywhere we look, there are messy people in need of a Savior. But the gospel is that Jesus looked at the destruction inside the hearts of his people and the discord in our communities, our families, and our world. And what did he do? He stayed. He stayed in it with us all the way to the cross. That's the gospel. And that's why we're different, or we can be. He's in you. That person that's not like most of us, if not all of us, in this way, he's in you when you place your faith in Christ. Greatness is not just in the building, he's in you. We become the temple of the Holy Spirit when we place our faith in Jesus and turn from our sin. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this is how Christians throughout history, this is how Christians in China endure adversity within and without. Christ in us. I encourage you to read an article that I posted on our website. We have a sermon resource document every week. Most of you don't know that, um, but we do. And on there is a, an article by w- one of the pastors in the underground church and uh, all about this idea that this truth that it's Christ in us for decades of, through decades of persecution that has enabled us to endure. That's the secret. That's the secret to loving Jesus' bride that he rose again, died and rose again to save. Christ in you. He's not going anywhere. And we hope that you won't either. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gospel that you remain, that you make us strong. You keep us building and rebuilding and loving each other, loving our neighbors as ourselves, and loving you above all things. So help us, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, now we get to experience in real time this strong memory, this, this strong presence, and the strong hope uh, in this celebration of the Lord's Supper. Um, but before we um, move there, it's important that it's important for us to remember that um, it's very easy to get uh, off track with Jesus. You know, Paul tells us to keep in step with the gospel. It's very easy to get out of step. And so why do we, why do we have these corporate confessions of sin? It's, it's for that reason. Because we want to be in step with him. We want to be strong. We may feel weak. We may have um, sinned in ways that we need to repent of. We may um, have a lot of discouragement that we want him to comfort us for. And so we repent. We confess these things. And then we receive grace. But I want to say this before we do. It's, it's perhaps um, the order of that might make you think that you have to say the right things for grace to happen in your life. No, no, no. Grace is surrounding this confession. 
We love Christ because he first loved us. We confess because he first loved us. And so let's do that now to get our hearts right and to ask for his strength to fill us up. Let's confess first um, together and then we will take time to confess silently on our own. Let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor altogether. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on us. Forgive us of all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness to do your will and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. Let's take a moment to confess silently on our own. Now, all together, let's receive this grace from Jesus. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So happy that you came to worship with us today, and I hope to see you again. Uh, We hope to see you again next week. Uh, But before you go, receive this good word. Um, Let's see where it is. There it is. Based on Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever Amen. Let us go forth to serve the world and build up his church as those who love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The peace and strength of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Go in peace. Have a great week.